the podcast on the mount where we talk about Jesus, discipleship, and community. Let's go. speaks of righteousness in terms of people being obedient to Yahweh. In its simplest form. That means that when God spoke to Abraham, he said, leave your mother and father and go to a land that I will show you. Abraham actually did. He didn't know where God was going to take him. He didn't he had, no, he had no clue of where he was going. But then he still but I've said, okay, let me go. This must be an interesting God. I've never known this God before, but you know, well, let's, let's try it out and see. And he committed his whole life. You know, and moving away from family and whatever in one place all the way to a total, it's a huge sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice to me. So it is not trivial that Abraham Abraham actually obeyed even though he had no idea how things were going to turn out. And that, so the, the point is, it is mostly his activity of obeying Yahweh, even though he didn't know what the end would be. That is what ending the path of a righteous person. Yeah, a, 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 any other? My question has to do with uh, uh, the creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned that we lost Social yes, we, yes we, have, we, and, uh, we entered social brokenness. Yes, spiritual brokenness and yes. So my question has to do with whether man lost God's nature or mm-hmm. the, the image of God mm-hmm. in us during those periods. Okay. And the second one mm-hmm. has to do, we are not yet in the, in the end, yes. but my question is received, received to me. <laughs> so, so should we, should we uh, hold that yes, one for? Uh, 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 maybe we should hold that one for okay. that one. Yeah, okay. So, um, that I think that the goal is that uh, I, I I would find it difficult to say that because we uh, because there is spiritual brokenness, it means we are no longer in the image of God. I think that, that, that is not the best way to represent it. Um, you, you know, you can create an, you, you, you can um, create something for a particular purpose. And then, for some reason, it may... Or you can create maybe a, a particular living thing or whatever for a particular purpose. And that thing may decide to go a different way. It doesn't mean that the reason why you created it and the form in which you created it has been lost. Do you get it? It's just that um, what you created has lost sight of what it actually was meant for. So that it is rather, you know, 
doing other things that it was not intended to do. If you get it. So that is a spiritual brokenness that, that that's the picture of spiritual brokenness that I think is more is a better way of looking at the subject. So it's people having lost their way and their understanding of both their purpose and of who actually has called them to that purpose. So that, like the people of Israel say, you human beings who were created by Yahweh are rather creating your own creations and saying you want to bow down. Instead of knowing that you are actually created and you are over the wood and the stone and whatnot. You are over them. You are not at their level. So don't bow down to this thing. Bow down to the one and only creator of the world. So when you see the world rather doing what it was not meant to do, but being confused and being deceived by things around it, then it is not behaving as it was meant to, as an image of God. But it doesn't mean that it has lost uh, you know, its nature as an image. I think that's a good way to explain it. So you're asking, I mean, um, um, in, in certain Old Testament places, we see a reference to say, the Lord your God. And here we are talking about Adonai being used to reference God. Okay. Um, the, the thing that I think that the thing was that Yahweh is the personal name that we use to re- reference uh, the God of the people of Israel. It's like um, I will say, Godwin, my friend. Are you getting me? So, uh, the Lord, your God, is actually, the Lord is his real personal name, and your God means who he is. Are you getting me? So, if I said, Godwin, my friend, Godwin, uh, Godwin is you yourself, but your, your, my relationship to you is as friend. You, you get it? So what, what is happening is it should have been Yahweh your God. I hear him. But because they don't want to mention the word Yahweh, then they say Adonai or the Lord your God. I hear him. So the, the, the first part is the personal name of, of, of whoever they are referencing to. And then they are stating the fact that he is God. So it should have been Yahweh, your God, is so so and so. But then they end up saying Adonai or the Lord, your God, is this. And that. So that, that, that's why you see that difference. Okay, then I guess we can continue, right? Okay. Um, okay, now, because of the experiences of Exodus and exile here were the people who were now back in their own nation and yet they could not feel that you know God was with them there was a whole lot of other things that they were experiencing so they relied a lot on what the prophets had said about what the future for them would be like both while they were in exile and after exile so we see certain hopes coming up, uh, especially when we look in the prophet area. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Uh, sorry, Lamentations not there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, uh, and Hosea, and all these prophets. Now, one example 
is the hope of resurrection. Um, you know, there's a reason why the Pharisees and the Sadducees used to have a debate about resurrection. The key problem that prompted the debate about resurrection was that, and in this case, it actually benefited the Sadducees, and I'll explain why, was that the Torah, the books, the five books of Moses, never said anything about resurrection. Resurrection was something that came into, became a hope of the people of Israel after the exile, when the prophets and whatever, during and after the exile, when the prophets were speaking. So you can see it's one of those things where, so as a result of that, the Sadducees will say, people believe in uh, uh, resurrection, but it was never in the Torah, it was never in what Moses gave us. So why is this all this belief about resurrection? The main reason why the Sadducees would, be, would side with the no resurrection thing was that they were the bosses and the rulers of Jewish society. And they were treading, they were abusing their fellow Jews, all this while. They were the leaders of the people who ran the temple. So it was actually also in their interest anyway not to believe in resurrection. Because resurrection always comes with Jack. <laughs> You get it, <laughs> but they they had they virtually had an argument because if you look in Torah, there was no statement about resurrection. So how did that hope come up? And that and a whole lot of other things. You see that there were new things that came up. It came up as a response to the exile and how the prophets spoke. So one, we, we try to look at six of the books that we see mostly in the in the prophets. One, the hope of a Messiah. A Messiah who will come and save them from their enemies and who will cleanse the temple. Alright? Two, the hope of Yahweh now coming back to his people. He has abandoned them. That's why they were defeated. That's why the temple was destroyed. If Yahweh really was living in that first temple built by Solomon, their enemies could not have destroyed them. So once the temple was destroyed, it showed that Yahweh has abandoned them to their enemies. Three, the nations now knowing Yahweh. Four, a new covenant being initiated. Because previously when Yahweh saved them from Exodus, he gave them a new covenant. So the idea is, if he's going to return, he will give them a new covenant. Five, resurrection and judgment of faithfulness to Yahweh. And six, restoration of creation. Now, let's move quickly and run through this so, the first eschatological hope. Now, you see, when I started up, I, the, the, the thing said eschatology, the coming kingdom. Because, you know, the ideas of the kingdom of God became more dominant during the times of the exile. And the ideas of the kingdom of God were not only just some otherworldly, we are going to go to heaven kind of thing. Yeah, understanding the ideas of the kingdom of God was something that will actually have an impact on their life today. Maybe not today, maybe in the next 50 years, whatever, but it will come and it will be felt and seen in real terms. So, this, uh, these, uh, these were the eschatological books. One, that there would be a Messiah. They call him the anointed. The Messiah means anointed one, basically. Messiah is the Jewish way of saying anointed one. Greek way of saying it is Christ. So, whichever one you say, Zor, right? So, 
one, he had to be a descendant of David who will lead Israel in a just and righteous way that pleases Yahweh. His reign will not be limited to Israel alone, but to the world at large, including over his enemies. And in some way, he will also take up the sufferings of the people of Israel. So we see this here in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to build, bind up the broken matter, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This was one of the tasks that the Messiah would come and accomplish. Two, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 2, 7 to 8. This is the expectation that the Messiah was going to be the one who was going to be the good leader who will come and change things in the way that Yahweh wanted. That's first hope. Second hope. Solomon's temple could only have destroyed if Yahweh had abandoned the nation. So Yahweh's return will signify that he has forgiven them of their sins. And this return will be visible to the whole world so that the nations will be drawn to worship him. So we see Isaiah 40, 22 saying, Comfort, comfort ye, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. It is because of her sin that Yahweh has abandoned her. So when Yahweh returns, it means that she has forgiven them of God. And he has decided to be with them again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. This is Zechariah 1.16. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Again, the idea of Yahweh returning. This is the second book. The third book. Yahweh has always desired that the nations will know him, so that they will stop giving his glory to That's what we call it. They will stop giving his glory to idols. To Abosom. So, as part of the eschatological hopes of what is going to come in the future, Yahweh is going to make himself known. They will receive forgiveness of sins for knowing Yahweh. They will also become a part of God's chosen people, a part of Israel. So, Zechariah 2 11. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day, and you will become, and, and will become my people. Now, note a lot of the times the people, people of Israel have always said, the nations are not your people. You would, in the same like in Psalms, it speaks of Yahweh trampling over the nations and walking over them and so on. But now we need to see Yahweh is going to bring them out. They will become part of I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. This is it. I will record Rahab. Rahab typically is another word for Egypt. And Babylon. Among those who know, who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. So people who were not born in Zion will now also come to be considered part of God's people because they will now know who the true God is.
the fourth hope is that Yahweh will initiate a new covenant with his people when he returns. And Yahweh will empower them, empower them, will give them the power to be faithful to this new covenant. Because the idea was that we failed in the old covenant. That is why Yahweh has abandoned us. Now, we are likely to fail again, even if he comes in. So he himself needs to give us something different that will empower us to be able to this time follow the covenant that we have And that is where the hopes about the Holy Spirit began to develop. The days are coming because of when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So a new covenant. This is Jeremiah 31 31. But then Ezekiel 36, 24, 26 says it even better. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. This is speaking of them coming back from exile. I will sprinkle clean water on you. See, he's washing them. And, I, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. So the eschatological hope of in the future, God was going to himself give us what enables us to actually be faithful, unlike our fathers who were not able to be faithful to the relationship that was supposed to happen. So the, the hope of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, was as a means to empower them to obey. Fifth, resurrection and judgment. Yahweh will judge the nations. He will judge Israel. And he will vindicate his faithful by resurrecting them. Now the idea of vindicating is that um, the poor of Israel have always said that Yahweh is the only real God. The rest of the nations never believe it. And not only that, but they end up you know, trying to kill them or trying to oppress them. Daniel is in, a, uh, is in Babylon and he's being oppressed for deciding not to follow the, the God that exists, you know, the gods of Babylon. So the point is, the people of Israel suffered a lot for their belief in this one and only God. Even when they are going to exile, they are still suffering, and they were still trying at least to keep to him. So the belief was that God will show, will vindicate. When you vindicate somebody, you are trying to say that whatever it is he was saying on Israel was true. Whatever that person was saying, so Yahweh will show that yes, the people of Israel were true, were really true by saying that I am the one who God. By He Himself rewarding them with resurrection. So we say uh, Isaiah 26 makes an important point. He said, Lord, our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone will be on you. They are now dead. Those other gods, the kings and Babylons and that, they are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punish them and you brought them to ruin. You wipe out all memory of them. But then it continues. But your death will live. Lord, their bodies will rise. So as a means of people having been subjugated by all these other lords and still not bowing down to those other lords, God Yahweh will say, Good and faithful servant. I will resurrect you. 
So there are the multitudes who, this is Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting content. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever. So, again, key to resurrection is vindicating, saying that yes, these are the people who actually truly obey me. In spite of all that you know, the world tried to do. Then the last one, last theological hope is then that there will be a creation of a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem within it. There will be no more violence, even amongst creation, and death will be defeated. So you see. Um, Isaiah speaking in 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people joy. So God's intention is to fix the whole world again. Whatever it is that is wrong with it as a result of you know, man's sinfulness, whatever that means. Yahweh intends for a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 11 says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goods, they will neither harm nor destroy or nor the holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Knowing. The theme of knowing continues on here. So, with this in mind then, um, I want to invite Jonathan to take over whilst we look at how all these we've talked about. Patient manipulation, election, and then the future of eschatology now make a presence the new person. So, Jonathan, go back to me. Hi. It's still recording. Oh, it's still recording. Okay. Hello. Okay. So, um, just as Adam ended with, we have looked at a few of, we have looked at some of the hopes that um, were established from the Old Testament of what we want to see of what was expected. We are about to take a look, delve into the New Testament, and then try to see what has happened, whether these hopes have been fulfilled, what is to happen, what has happened, and try to gain an understanding. Um, I will try. I would attempt to make this part as interactive as possible. So please help me out. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. So we looked at six. Hopes, um, six expectations. I would like us to try to go through each of them, and then attempt to see the, the, the and attempt to go into the New Testament, and then see if there are any fulfillments or if anything has happened based on those hopes. Hope one: the hope about the Messiah, the Anointed One, Christ. Do we do we see any references? to an anointed one within the New Testament 
anyone? We, we, we want to get all of us now involved in thinking of those six weeks. In what ways are those now realized in the Because the idea was to see the patterns from the room and then how they are now shown to be alive in one way or the other. Oh, well, have we seen the Messiah? Have we seen the chosen one? Is the chosen one not Sorry, the anointed one. Exactly. I'm sure that it is Jesus. It's difficult to say he isn't. It's difficult to say he isn't. Hmm. Okay. But another people came in the design, so it seems to be. Who came in the design? Pardon? Who came in the design? Sorry. Other people came and claimed to be in the design. Pardon? The question is who? The question is who? Um, the, uh, the, the Maccabees. Maccabios, is that in the Maccabios or what is this? And so the question becomes who was he and, and what 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 evidences did he make into that that Christ lived into what are the differences in his evidences? So so when you see Kelly as Christ as a kind of step ahead, it doesn't make sense as well. Then again, the question of school is here, what we do. How do we live in the just and righteous way? He that Jesus was taken by his justice and laid down his enemies. And how he reached out beyond his right. Did this guy do that? I think he was a woman just. He was a woman Okay. Any other ideas?
same with Mark, for instance. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, uh, this was after John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee and he proclaimed the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. He says these things. And he says, you know, Luke 4, sorry, Luke 4, verse 16, for instance. Where Jesus goes to the synagogue, he's given the scroll of Isaiah to read. Luke 4, verses um, 16 to 21. He goes. Um, he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he's given the scroll of Isaiah to read. And then he opens it in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in 21 he says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, even here, Jesus himself, in his own speech, as he speaks, mentions these things. And he says, he says that the anointed, he says, he claims he is the anointed one. The one, he is the Messiah. And that in, in the midst of the people, he, this is fulfilled in their hearing. So, together with the fact that other people came and claimed that they were Messiahs, we tend to see that scripture points to him from many ways. So, uh, so from Isaiah, scripture pointed to him um, through David and the lineage, and it all came down to Jesus Christ. And so when he comes and he says this, you know that it is the Messiah that is talking. Jesus says Messiah, that's Psalm 2 verse 7. Christ says, we tell you the good news. This is from the, from the Old Testament. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors has fulfilled for us. They are children by reason of Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And we have seen this already. So, the, the, the whole uh, idea of Amaziah coming and then being from the people of Israel and then coming to and then also coming and establishing that he is the Messiah. We see that fulfilled already inside of, of, the, of, the, of the New Testament. Jesus says that he is God. Anyone who sees me has seen the Father. Exactly. Because he's not just Messiah, he's also your own God. And he has come to them and is the heart of them. So, this marks the beginning of the first chapter. Yes. So that, the, so that the, the expected kingdom of God has already begun. The completion, as we see the new the completion will come. Mm -hmm. yes. But we are not waiting for the kingdom to be It has already begun. It has come and started. Any concerns? Anything to share? Anything to ask? Evidence in the way the church started, what the church mm -hmm. was typified by what the church was. 
there was a difference in the way in society, in the way they lived as a society, in reference to those who were around them. There was a clear difference, and everyone who saw them testified to this. And, and so again, it goes through that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, because then it was clear that the people who were part of the church were restored to God. And this evidence exists to this very day that whosoever comes to Christ is restored to God and becomes a part of the established kingdom of God on the earth. It's not as probably not as perfect as it was in the early Christian church, but it's still very much is there. We see that the first two hopes have been fulfilled. The Messiah has come, and he, the Messiah, is called. And him being God, being Yahweh, he has also returned to the people. So, now that the Messiah has come, the Messiah now wants that the nations should know him. Is this fulfilled? Is this, is this, what, how do we see this in the New Testament? And how do we see the desire for, the, for Yahweh to be known being fulfilled in the New Testament? The first thing is Peter's vision. Okay. The first thing is what? Peter's vision. Okay. So, that was the first thing. Again, Peter being a Jew, standing in a tradition that we Jews are left. Nothing short of a divine revelation during that tradition. And having been so introduced, he puts aside his complete natural disposition and sets forth. Then Philip too as well. And then of course the also can have his own core. Even after Peter's There's also, you know, back in the Old Testament, um, many nations heard about the God of Israel. They knew about the God of Israel, but they did not know the God of Israel. Where we use knowing here means that you coming to be, deciding to be a part of them, and then worshiping this God of Israel. So that, for example, um, so that, for example, um, in the book of Joshua, I think in um, Joshua 8, the woman, I have it in the notes, let me quickly get to it. In Joshua 8, for instance, uh, Joshua 2, sorry, Joshua 2, verse 8, um, 8 to 11, verse 10 to 11 say, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage filled because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
So these are people, I think they were going to conquer the people. Um, this was in, in Kenya. Okay. And so you realize that they have heard of this God. They know that this God exists. They have heard of the power of this God. So we could come to a number of conclusions. It could be that she was a woman and she just could not leave, you know, her leave to go and be a part of the Jews and then say, I will follow your God. I mean, it, it, there are so many things that, that could have come her way. But you tend to realize that many people did know of Yahweh. Many people did hear of Yahweh. But now in the New Testament, it is not just about hearing of Yahweh and knowing Yahweh. Now the Messiah has come and then he says that you, these nations, all of you, don't... Now, Yahweh is not only for the Jews. It is now for all of you. Come and know him. And so, then, the, the questions of knowing Yahweh, what does it really mean and what does it entail? Right? So, knowing Yahweh requires being reconciled to him. Um, Colossians 1, uh, 21 to 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So to know Yahweh means a number of things. One of them is to be reconciled with him. To how how do you break the word reconcile? To be to be to to say I I want to join you. I want to be a part of of you of being a relationship. Being a relationship with Yahweh. So that is one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the fulfillments of knowing Yahweh. Now knowing Him also requires being a part of His chosen people. So, in the OT, we saw who his chosen people were. It was, so, it started, you know, Abraham and then the nation of Israel. Those were his chosen people. But now he's, he, he now he's, he's opened the door for the nations to now come and be a part of this chosen people. And so, he mentioned Ephesians 2, 12 to 13. Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. At a point, you were foreigners uh, to the covenant of the promise, and you were not citizens of Israel. Then he mentioned, without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far will have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, now the nations, now he's opened the door for the nations to come in and know him. Um, a number of things. Um, so um, knowing also requires resisting or correcting ignorance or deception. In Galatians, for instance, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, which says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
and announce the gospel in, in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So he mentions this thing about even the Gentiles shall be justified by faith and that all the nations will be blessed through, uh, through him. Galatians 3.26 So in Christ Jesus you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So all of this is in fulfillment of now, of all the nations, of not separating Jew from Gentile, not separating anyone, but all the nations coming and knowing, and knowing the Messiah, knowing who Jesus Christ is. Any other additions? Any subtractions? Any questions? Or yeah, any I mean, just to add to that, so I think that this, um, you know, it's not, it's not very obvious, but I think Paul especially marks this part of the vision very well. So that he realized that, wow, we have a dead. If he is already making himself known, you know, like the experience of Peter, being uh, 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 introduced to and so then it means that the door will have been opened, and he then dedicates his whole life to the Gentile ministry, and and makes the point that in no way can uh, Jews now treat themselves better than them. We all are now considered as one. Gentiles have been adopted as children, but we all now are the same level. Everybody must now know that we are asking himself as So then you see Second uh, Corinthians 10, 16. So he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This text is found within uh, some uh, where it says, for uh, weapons are not uh, common, but they are mighty mm-hmm. to go to the, to the pulling down of strongholds. And people simply assume that oh, then he is talking about spiritual communities. But the point is, a lot of our uh, of, of the inability for the nation to realize their will is because they are deceived in their minds. They have all sorts of arguments. So he said, our goal, as we go out there, is to demolish that argument and these things that they can set themselves up to say that they are God. No. Now Yahweh has declared that everybody is saying. You Gentiles, as well as Jews, but you now have a chance to do it as much as we also do. So let's bring everybody on board. So that became more than the driving force of this life in this ministry and so on. So and yes, the last point is that it must always be obedience. The goal of bringing people in is not so they can just cross their legs you know, uh, drink water and see and be happy. But the goal is that you need to walk in to be obedient because, you know, back then God desired that if people had been obedient to the following of the Lord, it would have led to the nations of them seeing God's vision and then being drawn to him. So that the purpose then of we also coming in so the world may see our vision and to be 
your multiplier effect. Your obedience is not a sub, you know, it's not an afterthought. It is part of the goal and purpose of bringing that. Okay. What we tend to see here is now that the Messiah has come, and now that Yahweh has now come to be a part of this kingdom, and now that we have opened the door for the nations to come and join, now it is not only about the Jews, it is about everyone else. Everyone else and everybody participating. Now, if we all come together in the name of Christ, with, with, with Jesus Christ as our Lord, as, as, the, as the head, and we as the body, then we form the church. So now we see that the first diagram that was shown here, where we had Yahweh electing Abraham and then blessing the nations. And then we had um, an, an, an update to that, where we had Yahweh electing Abraham and then now forming the nation of Israel, blessing the nations. Now we see it a bit different here, in the same line. Now Yahweh elects Jesus, and then now Jesus, he comes, he establishes his church. And so now the church, which is this body of Christ, now this church, which is not made of just Jews, not made of no, just just people of Israel, but now this church, made of the Jews and those who uh, those who have accepted and have come to join and say that Yahweh is my God. Now these people and through these people we shall now bless the nations. And as we continue to bless the nations, more more from the nations will continue to come and join the people, and the church grows. And so we, we have just looked back at the OT, at the Old Testament, and we see how this, this very same thing, this very same idea, this very same uh, thinking process of election and then blessing the nations, starting from one person, Abraham, then through the nation of Israel, then through Jesus Christ, in the same way. This 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 makes sense. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it helps us eventually again understand Paul's usage of the language of you know you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. But then the goal is God is now choosing a new people that are not considered by direct descent to Abraham, but by those who uh, have faith in Jesus Christ. And by in, in, in that way, we constitute a new nation whose goal is to reflect what God desires for the world so that it ends up being a blessing, it ends up attracting the nations, it ends up leading the rest of the world also in the direction that God desires for us to go. Which places a lot of responsibility on the church. Because it needs to realize itself. Yeah. As not existing for its own sake. That's like, I mean, the people got to the point where they, they, they simply enjoy existing as Israel for its own sake. 
knowing that they got in a relationship and uh, it doesn't matter when they leave. In the end, exile came upon them for their disobedience. So we need to be reminded of how key it is that God decides to create a new body called the church. And he decides to work his purposes through mm-hmm. that body for the benefit of the world. Mm-hmm. Can we say that as soon as we lost, we lose all the supplies, it means we lose the world Yes, it, it does, because I think what happens is that... Sorry, what's the question? Oh, the question is, can we, can we say that if we lose the focus on Christ, we lose the focus on our mission? Where the we is who? The church? Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, I think that is definite. And, and also, in addition to that, you know, when we also don't have a full or a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is meant to be. So that we don't look at him only from one angle and define our mission only from that angle. Yes. Because what then happens is that we see Jesus only as a means to personal salvation. Yeah. Which then has very little uh, look at that. The, 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 the understanding of Jesus as Messiah, who has uh, many dimensions to himself, it's not just only the dimension of the forgiveness of our weakness, but the multiple dimensions that we speak of, for example, in Isaiah 61. Our mission then will be more total. Because if we choose to see Jesus in only one perspective, then our mission will also be expanded in only that one of course, if we totally refuse to see Jesus at all, then we will totally lost. And you know, there are more and more people who we can, we can almost say that for. But the point is that even those who, of us who desire to be faithful to Jesus, we need to grasp a fuller picture of him so that our mission and our action, our planning, our praying, and everything leads us into a fuller mission. Uh, Let's go back. Hope number four. So we have looked at the first three, the Messiah, Yahweh's return, and the nations knowing Yahweh. Now, um, a new covenant. Any ideas? New Testament theories. Uh, fulfilled, yes to be fulfilled, something we are waiting for. This new covenant we are talking about, right, is more or less um, is a covenant whose membership. I mean, you being a part of this covenant is uh, by your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, now, it's 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 not just faith. Let's yeah. So previous covenants, aha. Uh-huh, for example, previous covenants used animal blood, for instance. This was back in the Old Testament. To, for whatever way, you slaughter an animal, and then this, you and God, you try to something. You make a covenant between you and you and you and Yahweh. So, but in Luke chapter twenty-two, verse twenty, for instance, this is um, the Last Supper. Now, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
So, the covenant of Jesus used his blood. And this is a totally new covenant. Very different from what was in the Old Testament. Which means that the Old Covenant no longer applied. Now, the new basis is Jesus himself and his blood. And Jesus did what we could not do. And he sacrificed himself for us as a gift. Um, so to enjoy the new covenant, we admit that we can't earn our way into God's presence. But by faith and by grace. That is the only way we can earn our way. We, sorry, you can't earn your way. But to be in God's presence, it's only by faith and then by grace. So, um, so for example, Ephesians 2. Verse 8 says, it's, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So, in multiple instances, we've read that these things it's, it's a gift that you know, it's, it's a gift that uh, enables us now to have this new covenant. Hebrews 9 13 to 15, our paraphrase is quite long. The blood of goats and bulls. Uh, sanctify and clean them. I'm just paraphrasing. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered him unblemished to God, cleanse us from actually to death? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So here clearly Hebrews mentions an old covenant, and then a new covenant that we have with Christ. Um, in terms of covenant thinking and about uh, Jesus Christ and a new relationship with Jesus, uh, with God, with Yahweh, these are some of the things that we can look at and some of the, uh, and the fulfillment that Christ came and he fulfilled this new covenant. Secondly, yeah, sure. Secondly, a new way of life as taught and modeled by Jesus. For example, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So, I mean, very quickly, I want us to do a basis. Uh, I want us to do a, a comparison. So, for example, in um, Exodus chapter 21, 23 to 25, it says, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. Foot for foot, bend for bend, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This is in the Old Testament. This was the old law. Now let us look when Jesus came, um, someone on the mount, Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 40. What did he say? He said, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the left also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So here, Jesus brings in a, a, a different way of, of thinking about things, a different kind of life. Your way of life has to change if you say you are part of this new covenant. So you are thinking, your actions, things about you have to change. The old law is gone. Now we have the new law. Very quickly, um, a new power to enable this way of life, which is the Holy Spirit. So, um, some may say, it's just, let me just put it this way. So, we can say, I mean, in a number of instances, actually many instances, um, that in the Old Testament, 
there was a spirit. Yes, there was a spirit. But um, the way it is portrayed in the New Testament seems more permanent because it is promised by Jesus. For example, um, very quickly, stories of Samson, Judges chapter 14, verse 16, uh, 14, verse 6, for instance, where you have Samson. Uh, the lion comes and is uh, trying to attack him. And then he says, and the spirit came on him, and he got the strength, and he was able to kill the lion. So in a number of these instances, we see that at certain points in time, the spirit comes on a person, and the person is able to do something. But now in the New Testament, Jesus says that I will, what is it, John 14, 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he's, we can continue that. But here, when Jesus is leaving, he does not leave us all alone. But he leaves us with this spirit this Holy Spirit who guides us who is the advocate who does a number of things for us so and this is the new power to enable us to be able to continue to uh, you know go on in the way of life like I mentioned in the from the Sermon on the Mount in the way of life that Jesus seeks that, that Yahweh seeks that we, we you know we continue to, to pursue okay uh, I think I'll end here. Okay, let me just continue then. So, on the, especially on the subject of the Holy Spirit, see, like I mentioned before, first part of that, the people of Israel realized that God had certain laws and waters, but we were unable. So, God Himself must give us what enables us to be able to be obedient. So, that's part of it. He gives us the Spirit as a means that empowers us. So it is important for us to then, and that when we are reading the Holy, about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the Spirit is given for the common good and so on. The goal is so that the community of God may be led in the direction that God desires. For too long, many people have taken the Spirit to be, uh, you know, uh, something that, I, I don't know, you know, Something and the Holy Spirit, is, you know, God's presence is meant to be personal and corporate in both ways. But I think our individualism has chewed too much into our brains that the only way we can perceive and understand the Holy Spirit is something that is for me and me to you know, run around my life and, and run around my life the way I desire. But the point from the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit is meant to lead us in, to be obedient to God in his own way. And the more it is leading us to be disobedient, we need to ask ourselves. The more it's leading us to uh, becoming uh, snakes in people's dreams at night, the more we need to ask ourselves, what kind of space Anyway, so now that, uh, so just to go a bit further down into the idea of the church. So the church then becomes a multi-ethnic, multi-gender, multi-social kingdom of priests and holy where we try to bring in any and every person who is willing to be submitted to Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful about any forms of divisions that we create. Alright, so, so, so here, you see, when, in one way talking about the Old Testament, I referenced uh, Exodus 19, 6, where I said, the Holy 
priesthood and uh, a royal nation. Peter quotes directly from Exodus. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. That is the purpose of the church. And we may reflect the God that we are called to serve. That is the God of us. And we may be the peace. So, one, we are the bearers of Yahweh's desire. He wants to be known. And how does he want to be known? Through us. As we go out there, we know, oh, how? You know, the, the, one of the key things is that many Christians are talking, talking so much about God, but the, the evidence about whether they really love God or not is so not visible. It's a lot of talk. But very little actually. Why? Because we don't understand that we ourselves must be the manifestation of the knowing that God wants to The church must be that kingdom of people who are showing the world what God is really like. It is a God of love, and this is a community of love. It is a God of mercy, this is a community of peace. We cannot claim to be a people who love a God of this by doing something to try to get in the world. So he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ and Master, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are not just believers of the message, we are the embodiment of the message. Two, uh, we are carriers of his task. His task of justice and mercy. We talked about this. This is the things that Messiah was supposed to be about. Having brought us salvation and cleansed and washed us, he is supposed to deploy us in the direction of working for and supporting one another and working for and supporting his group in the world. So we can't then be people who have benefited and just sitting and every day asking God, give us more, give us more. We must be a people through whom what is coming to is radiating to those around us within the body of Christ and beyond. So Paul says you should carry each other's burden. In this way you will fulfill the law. What is the law of Christ? New command I give you. Love and another. Just as I have done. Alright, that is the that's the new law that Jesus actually gave. Because the other one, love the Lord your God with all your mind and love and another. It's not his law. That is from Torah. That was from the Old Testament. But he gives his own new law. Love on the just as I have loved you, that the world will know that you are my disciples. So when Paul talks in this way, he's speaking of acting justly towards one another as the as Yahweh desires. Okay, so we've talked enough about church. Now the last one, Hope 5 and 6. In a sense, we say that that hope has also begun. But that hope, just, just like all the others, Jesus Christ launches his kingdom, but it is not in its fullness as we see that will come and consolidate it. But Christians must be careful not to limit our understanding of the kingdom of God just to future events. Because what it does is it makes us lazy people sitting on our asses and doing nothing. The kingdom has begun. The kingdom is amongst us. That's what Jesus Christ says. The kingdom is amongst us. So, 
Jesus' own resurrection is the first fruit of what is to come. For us in, or us in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So at least his resurrection then gives us hope that there is something to come. That new creation has begun. And that's 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 why now I, I prefer them. I commend the modern translation of NIV when it comes to second Corinthians and Bible It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. We use in the KJV and others used to be translated as if there is anyone there, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But a lot of scholars are pointing out that that is not the best way to translate the Greek writing. That the better way to do it is that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Why? Because, you see, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ launches new creation now. It, it, sets, it sets the activity in motion. So you coming to join it means you are also now exposed to the newness of the world. And, and it's in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about God is actually reconciling himself. So this is also part of the flows. God himself is reconciling. No, he is not, he is not waiting for you to be reconciled. He has already reconciled himself. And all he's saying is that, come, I have forgiven you, I've, I've done the work. So you you just come, come in. Let's get on with what we're supposed to be before. So Paul, God himself launches new creation before. He takes the initiative and says, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything is found new. Let's start this whole business afresh again. So, that, for me, it makes much more sense when we say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is coming. The old has gone, the new is coming. The new creation has started. Not, yes, of course, you yourself are new because you get into something that is new. But Paul is I was actually talking about a, large, a larger picture than just the individual who himself can be. So I think that is an important tradition. So um, basically, we want to sum up what we see from when we, when we try to do these parallels between the eight and the But one, we see that God does a work of political resolution. The other lords are ruling over us every day. The John Mohammeds and the Kufwados or the Wagwans or whoever. They will come and rule and they will go. The, what is his name? Jerry John Rallises and the Ivan Satamoses and the Krumas. They will go. But Yahweh has appointed for us and for his people the one and only king. And he is the only one that we owe our loyalty to. If, we, if Christians think more in this kind of lines, we'll be careful about political affiliation and worshipping our political parties like we are God. Because God has already appointed his king. And anybody who is doing small kingship here is he's only doing it for the meantime. The Christians should not be so attached to the political desires of our time here. The one and only Messiah has been announced is Jesus Christ. Two, first reconciliation. We realize that Yahweh Himself says, "I have reconciled myself to you." 
What are you waiting for? Let's come. Let's, let's, let's talk about this business. Let's come. I have reconciled. Before, we see a social resolution, a community whose membership card is in Christ only. Now, we are not gauging people by whether you are doing gender, or whatever, and so on. No, the only membership card is faith in Christ. So that we are all now put on the same level. Nobody is higher, nobody is lower. Whether male or female, or gender, or slave. An economic resolution. You see a community that is dedicated to practically caring for one another. It is not a side issue. I mean, you know, just as we look at the Old Testament pictures, these are what they go through. In, in the time of the Exodus, these are the things that go there. He worked on political resolution. He worked on social resolution. He worked on economic resolution. He worked on uh, all these. In the same way, when we come into the New Testament, we must not limit our understanding of salvation only to just the restoration of the spiritual part of our, our, our reconciliation with God. We must see ourselves as a community that God has empowered to deal with all these spiritual, social, economic, so that our imagination and our mission is broadened and we, we, we think in, in, in total. We don't think in parts only. So, number five, ecological restoration. We see a community that actually cares for creation wherever the community is located. So, we see Christians who are much more conscious of what is happening in the world around them. I mean, for example, that you see Christians, same as any other people, throwing rubbish into the gutter, that's a problem of Because, Again, I, there, there has been very little understanding that God actually cares for this world and that what we do in maintaining and sustaining God's world is important because he's, going to, he's not going to throw the world away. He's going to use this as part of his work of new creation. And so whatever else we do to sustain this world because we are caretakers of this world by virtue of being the images who are called to subdue we are caretakers, we are not just abusers. Christians need to develop a better attitude towards the environment in this world. And then the last one is that we become their blessings to the, to the world. So we become a community that learns to practice the above internally and then go into the world practicing the same. We learn to, as we practice this within our communities, our church communities, they become the na- a natural part of us. So that when we find ourselves outside our church communities, there isn't a different way of living. We still live the same way. Why is it that you have a Christianity uh, in Ghana, a 70% population being called themselves Christianity, uh, sorry, Christians, and yet uh, you know, there is not much to write home about when it comes to our behavior outside it's because uh, uh, we, 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 we are not all our plenty going to church is not itself training us to behave like Jesus, to think like Jesus to view the world through Jesus' eyes so that we we, 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 we even though the world may say oh, uh, 
this is the best. This is the only way to do it. He said, no, there are better ways to do it. I want to give an example. Why, if we are not learning to manage finances well within our churches, how would we learn to be uh, good managers of government money and not be corrupt? You get it? So if we are going to be a blessing to the world, God puts us in a community where we learn to do those together so that it becomes second nature to us. So that when you step into the world, that there is no difference in your behavior. But that's the natural way in which you work. It's the natural way in which you behave. There isn't a dichotomy in your behavior. You are, you are, you are whole. You are one. You, I, I, I hope you are getting my point. Because if we are not working in that way, and we are not seeing the church as the means of being blessed in the world, but it's just a place to go, do a regular Sunday worship, and go home, it's not a means where we are getting trained to, 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 to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. To see why we need to be devoted and educated to one another. To see that God has called us to be a blessing to the world. Even when the world refuses to receive our blessing. The world knows what is right, but it will not do it. But if we are learning to do it within the community of, of called people, then it becomes second nature natural for us to go out there and just do it without thinking twice. So if our percentage is going to have an impact beyond what it is having today, it requires a radical rethinking. Radical rethinking. A lot of things. And what our goal was to help us realize that the the, the the trajectory is the same. God had intended to do something with the people of Israel. And that he then carries to us, the church. And if the church loses sight of what God had intended from creation to the call of the people of Israel to, and so on, then we lose our mission. And we only exist to give advice, but not to be a people who take our own advice. Because that, basically that's where we are getting to. We like to tell the society how to behave, but we ourselves are not very good at doing it. So um, that then, I think, ends up what we have to say. But um, we want to also open up to questions and open up to whatever reflections you have based on what we Thank you for listening to this episode of the Podcast on the Mount. You can ask a question, make a comment, or just reach out to us on our Facebook page, Podcast on the Mount, and on Twitter at Podcast on the MNT.